0: Well, uh, when I was working at Camp Iowa, uh, one of the great pleasures that I had was uh, being able to work with high school students from Kingston and Ottawa. They would come to Iowa for our outdoor education program and uh, to develop their leadership skills. And uh, so many of the kids would come and and, uh, we had an outdoor education program and, and I got to be one of the facilitators of small groups. So we would do uh, low ropes and high ropes in helping the kids learn about about leadership. Um, It's kind of interesting that the teacher sponsors of those those, uh, programs, the leadership programs and then the leadership kids in the schools, it's kind of interesting that they saw team building as an integral part of leadership development. Now think about that they saw team building as an integral part of leadership, of their leadership curriculum. And when I think back to that now, I I was struck by what a departure that is to the approach of leadership that was the approach that my parents' generation took to leadership. You see, in Iowa, we led students through outdoor initiatives That built the importance of clear communication and um, inclusive collaboration, utilizing the strengths of each person, and accommodating the weaknesses of each person. And we did all of that in order to accomplish a task. And undergirding all of the things that we did was the big idea, and that was trust. Trusting each other. I suppose that approach, team building, that approach to leadership development was a reaction to the experience of my parents who grew up in the father knows best culture. Right? Um, Father knows best leadership style. In their time, my parents' time, leaders who individually shouldered responsibility for everyone made decisions in isolation, and and expected absolute loyalty and compliance, (laughs) they were the model of excellence in leadership. And I suppose it was our generation, or at least my generation, that rejected that autocratic idea of Father Knows Best and uh, top-down leadership. I think that was in part but largely due to the untrustworthiness of many of those leaders who were weak men and who took advantage of their responsibility that they had. They abused the power. They preyed on innocent individuals, and they used that position of leadership and absolute compliance on those they were leading to abuse their power for personal gain. And so we have a new leadership model that most people are adhering to these days and it has to do with team. It has to do with utilizing all the strengths, accounting for the weaknesses, and collaboration. And as a leader, you are not the decision maker, you are the facilitator. And that's what we tried to do in teaching the kids at Camp Iowa. Trust is the linchpin to healthy relationships. Trust is the linchpin to healthy marriages. Trust is the linchpin to healthy families and healthy communities. And so trust, not just in leaders, but in each other, and most importantly, in God, is essential to the process of building a holy church. We have to trust each other, and we have to trust God. Now, we've been taking lessons from Moses, haven't we? And his quest to build a holy nation. And most of our lessons so far have been quite positive in the sense that uh, Moses was learning and doing the right things. And Israel was coming along. (laughs) But today we're going to look at uh, the stark contrast to that. And that is an abysmal failure in this idea of trust. Trusting each other and trusting God. I want to read to you what the people did once they crossed over the Red Sea. Here they were on the opposite bank. Their feet were dry. And they, it seems almost spontaneously, broke out into a song. And we read in Exodus 15, 1 to 18, this wonderful song of praise. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He's become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depth like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the water piled up. The surging water stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heat, heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philesia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you brought or bought pass by, you will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. Things are good, (laughs) and they are praising God. And I notice in that song of praise that they, they, yes, they spend some time um, reflecting on the recent past of their deliverance from uh, Pharaoh and his army and the swallowing of the army in the Red Sea. So they spend a little bit of time uh, focusing on his great deliverance in the recent past. But that's not all that they focused on. They also said how this deliverance proved God's present and eternal character. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders, You stretch out your hand and the earth swallows your enemies. So in this song, they celebrate the recent past. They speak about the present character of God. But they also speak of how he will fulfill his future promise or the promise of their future. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. So in this, Israel is declaring, in this song, they are declaring that God is trustworthy. He has proven himself to be trustworthy in the past. It's his character in the present, and in the future, he will be trustworthy. So no one would blame you. <laughs> if you are not shocked when just a wee bit later, and after even more numerous proofs of God's trustworthiness, Israel declares through its actions that God can't be trusted. (laughs) Of course, I'm referring to two stunning accounts. One, Israel's insistence on the construction of a golden calf to worship. And two, Israel's refusal to enter Canaan, following the report of the spies. So let's start with this golden calf. Moses has been on the mountain for 40 days, getting the law from God. And in Exodus 32, 78, we read... Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made for themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, and this is what's most appalling of all, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up out of Egypt. They ascribed... The success of their deliverance to a golden calf, to an idol. Now, if it wasn't for Moses' advocacy for Israel, God, it seems, would have obliterated Israel at that moment. And then it says he would have started afresh with Moses. Kind of like how he started Israel through Abraham, one man. His family grew into the nation of Israel. It seems that God intended, if it wasn't for Moses and his advocacy, it seems to me that he would have obliterated the people. But because because God is trustworthy, Moses appeals to God and he says this, Lord, why, would your, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains, to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and I will give your descendants all the land I promised them and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. What is Moses doing here? Moses is appealing to God based on his trustworthiness. He is saying, God, you're too trustworthy to wipe these people out. I'm sure in the back of his head he's saying, what am I saying? These people are obnoxious. (laughs) They they are unbelievable. They are stubborn. They are stiff-necked. They're rebellious. But he advocates for them. (laughs) And he says, God, you're trustworthy. You promised the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Remember, you made that promise. You're trustworthy. We can't do this. God, please don't do this. Now, the second stunning reversal by Israel having gotten across the Red Sea and singing this remarkable song of praise about how God is trustworthy in the past, how he is trustworthy in the present, and how he will be trustworthy in, in the future, the stunning reversal, that is the second stunning reversal, besides this golden calf that they worshiped, is their refusal to enter Canaan. They've gradually made their way after being given the law, after the rebellion with the golden calf, they get to the border of Canaan, the promised land, the very, you know, the the pinnacle of their journey. And they send out some spies, and the spies come back, most of them saying, man, we can't go in there. (laughs) There's big guys in there, giants. They'll eat us for lunch. We cannot go in there. And they refused to go into the land of promise. That night, all the members of the community, now I'm in Numbers 14, one to four. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by this sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Once again, If it wasn't for Moses advocating for Israel, God, it seems, would have wiped these people off the face of the earth and started again with Moses. Think about that. That must have been appealing to Moses. (laughs) Right? He knew how revered Abraham was, the father, the great patriarch. He had the opportunity to, to throw Israel under the bus and become the man. But he appealed to God, he says, don't destroy these people. And this is what God says in Numbers 14, 17 to 23. Now may the Lord's strength, sorry, this is Moses. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared The Lord is slow to anger, abounding love, forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. And then the Lord replies, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as... The Lord God of the Lord fills the whole earth. Not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised an oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. See, the message could not be any more clear. In order for God to build a holy nation and a holy church, his children must trust him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it's the roadmap to seeking to be used by God in the construction of something holy. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he'll make your path straight. To build a holy church, we need to trust God You do that walking in. (laughs) Pastors remind more than they do anything else. (laughs) You walked in here, you knew. In order for us to have a holy church, we need to trust God with all of our hearts. It's not some blockbuster revelation. But I don't think we're that different than Israel had experienced incredible miracles and yet they did not trust God. So it's not a a new idea that we need to trust God. But this is, I think, the harder part. We need to trust each other. We need to trust each other. We need to trust God, but we need to trust each other. Now back at Iowa, I would spend either a morning or an afternoon with my small group, taking them through a bunch of initiatives to help them get to a certain place where I had to make a very tough decision But I gotta tell you, some some of those small groups were a disaster. (laughs) And I can tell you why some of them were a disaster. Because some of the people in those teams disregarded the process, made light of it. They would marginalize people that they didn't think were of any value. They assumed the role of leader and, and started bossing everybody around. They were too cool for school. They showed disinterest, or they would bicker about the process. They insisted on their own way or the highway. And then at the end of each half-day session, I needed to make a judgment. I had to decide whether or not I would do the ultimate demonstration to these kids of whether or not they trusted each other called the trust fall. And you know we've demonstrated the trust fall here before, but basically some groups really weren't ready for that potentially hazardous activity where someone would fall back into the arms, backwards they'd fall into the arms of their team. You really have to trust somebody to do that. You are helpless when you fall backwards into the arms of the team. So if there's been you know, one, two persons in that group that have been naysayers and hecklers and troublemakers, and you're not going to fall back <laughs> into their arms because they'll think it's funny to go, ah, and let you fall, right? You just won't trust them. Trusting someone to be committed to your welfare as you drop helplessly backward into the arms of your group is not to be taken lightly. Neither is trusting each other to build a holy church. But you've got to understand that in God's eyes, trusting him, the head of the church, includes and cannot be separated from trusting the rest of his body. The church, and in particular the leaders. I'm thankful that last week Gina read from 1 Thessalonians 5. It says, Paul writes, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, in love, because of their work. And then they go on, he goes on to say, Trust them, but also trust each other. Live in peace with each other. We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. When my kids were growing up, and probably you guys up there know about this too, but... One of my favorite shows to watch with the kids was The Muppets. Remember Kermit and, and Miss Piggy? Those two weren't my favorites. You know who were my favorites? The two grumpy men sitting <laughs> up in the balcony. I love those guys. Right? call them president and prime minister. Yeah. <laughs> They just got to sit up there and poke fun at everything, criticize everything, you know? I mean, it was a gong show, that show, you know? Uh, But they would sit up there and just crack jokes and make fun of everything. But the grumpy old men are, to me, an apt characterization of many in our churches today. And this is, I believe, due in part to the structure of our churches expecting only a few leaders to do the bulk of the ministry, the grumpy old men can play the role of Monday morning armchair quarterbacks with impunity. If our churches were structures as God designed in his word with everyone being equally invested, we might have far less grumpy old men in our churches. You see, being equally invested requires trust It's not easy to criticize, or I should say, it is easy to criticize when you have no skin in the game. Well, just as we are bad at trusting God and each other, Israel was no different. Look at how they treated Moses. Every time trust was required. They've just sung, sung a song of praise. And in that very same chapter, in Exodus we read Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. So what? So the people grumbled against Moses. Next chapter. 16, 1 to 3. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam, came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they had come out of Egypt, the whole the desert of the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. So on and so forth. You see, if you're not equally invested in the process, if you've got no skin in the game, you can sit up in that balcony and make fun, criticize all the time. But if you're part of it, you can't. Here we are. We come to the moment of truth when they have the opportunity to enter the promised land. And what did they do? That night, all the members of the community raised their voices, wept out loud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. 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 No skin in the game. Not equally invested. I'm a victim. Hold my hand. Lead me. I got nothing. I can't contribute. I'm worthless. I'm just here. You need to fill me up. Fill me up. Bless me. Bless me. Bless me. That's why you don't have a pastor anymore. We've got to be equally invested. Trust, not just in leaders, but in each other and in God, is essential to the process. A whole generation of Israelites forfeited the right to be part of a holy nation because they didn't trust God and they didn't trust one another. God is calling us to build a holy church. And in order to do that, we need to trust God and we need to trust each other. When challenges arise within this church, if we are equally invested, we don't criticize the leaders or each other as if to say, whoa, they've got a problem. They blew it. They better get a handle on it. No, we own the problem and say, we have a problem. We better get on top of this. we got to come up with the solution. Moses had to learn quickly that in order to lead Israel, he'd have to trust others. I love that it's not all bad news, because Moses had to learn quickly that he would have to trust others. One of the best examples of this, and this with this I'm going to close. One of the best examples of this is, is when he did what any self-respected man would hate to do. He took his father-in-law's advice. <laughs> we read in Exodus 19, 18. The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they, they stood around him from morning till evening. And when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? (coughs) Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. (laughs) Moses' father in law replied, What you're doing is not good. (laughs) What you're doing is not good. You know, as a leader who's worked really hard, and if you've been in leadership, you know all about it. And you're, you know, you're working hard. You're doing what you think's the right thing. For someone to come along and say what you're doing is not good, you want to pop them in the nose. <laughs> when they come to you with godly wisdom, you're like. Jethro, his father-in-law, says, you and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The works too heavy for you. You can't handle all this. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to Him. That's your role. Teach them His decrees and instructions, and show them the way that they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. You're not the only guy who can judge. And appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times. But have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over the thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases, they were brought to Moses, but the simple ones, they decided. Now, first of all, he's been told that what he's doing is not good, even though he's doing something that he you know, had to be done and he was probably doing it admirably. What he was doing that wasn't good was not empowering others so that he wouldn't burn out, right? But can you imagine, if you've been a leader in anything, can you imagine the trust he would have to place in those other people? If you're an arrogant leader like I can be from time to time you'll appoint a judge and as you're appointing them you're saying this is just going to come back to me anyways that's how we think sometimes we'll empower but as we're doing so we're thinking to ourselves I'm going to end up dealing with this mess after all. There's an insight into the heart of a Christian leader. Can you imagine the trust he's putting in these people? These are issues. These are things, the disputes that people are having in the community. They're at each other. And instead of sort of handling it, and he, he knows he can handle it because he's got the anointing of God. He knows that it's been going well. He's, he's in his groove. All of a sudden, God says to him, what you're doing isn't good. You've got to trust others. Can you imagine? There's no record of hesitancy on his part. He just does it. <laughs> he sets it up. He said, Jethro, my father-in-law, whom I love, you are right. Hard words to say. God isn't naive. He knows that just as we do, he knows just as we do that trust isn't earned. Or sorry, let me start that over again. God is not naive. He knows just as we do that trust is earned. And we need to trust each other and we need to trust God. So how do we get to that place where we trust God and each other? The answer is through experience. We do know, we don't know as yet what the shape of this holy church will be. What it'll look like. But there's no doubt in my mind that it will require more (coughs) than this. I haven't earned my trust sitting there, Dale. And I haven't earned your trust by sitting up here preaching a sermon. So how do we develop trust? We, it, it will be more than this. This cannot be church. It can't be. Because we can't trust each other just because we show up. I mean, it's encouraging when people show up. It is. But it doesn't build trust. The only way we trust each other is if we have experience with each other. We live life together. We're involved in each other's lives. We get to know each other to the point where I am willing to trust you. So that when a big decision comes around with the church, we don't question whether or not we're in or going to be out because we trust each other. I know that Robert doesn't have some axe to grind that is so important to him that we may lose him over this. No, we trust each other. We're in this together. We're going to solve problems together. We're going to accomplish what he wants, what his will is, together because we trust each other. And so it's going to be beyond this. It's got to be beyond this because this is not a trust. This, I mean, I'll tell you, when I taught in those small groups at Camp Iowa, you're double parked. We couldn't even get kids to stand shoulder to shoulder in a circle. They'd stand behind each other And guess what, guys? You are double parked. There ain't no team in this whole format right here. (laughs) This format right here, it's okay. You know, like, for 90 minutes a week, it's okay. But it ain't building trust. It's not building experience. It's not building life. It's not making us one, is it? Not at all. So whatever we come up with, it's got to be beyond this. Because this will serve its purpose, maybe or maybe not. But, it, certainly, I mean, it's a blessing to me. <laughs> but if we're really going to trust each other, we've got to get way beyond this. This can't be church. The unlimited potential that trust in God and trust in each other holds is something I want to experience. And I wonder if you do too. Amen? All right. We're going to prepare our hearts uh, by singing a song, uh, Preparing Our Hearts for, for Communion.